Okay. Uh, do you wanna do you wanna start it? Do you want me to start it? Yeah, you start it. Go ahead. Hey, everybody! Welcome back to the Take It or Leave It podcast. Again, I'm Nick Farringdon here with my co-host. Oop. Um, start over. I'm sorry. I wasn't ready. My brain. Okay. I wasn't. Dim- I wasn't ready yet. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll keep this in. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and uh, <laughs> and hi, everybody. This is Ethan Wise. And uh, yeah, like Nick said, thanks for listening again. We have a really to us and hopefully to you all, we have a, a great main topic for this episode. Yeah, Ethan, you happen across this article in a Grower Talks magazine, which is a pretty common, uh, at least on the professional side of horticulture, it's pretty common any greenhouse or horticulture related business to get. Yeah, if you're on the professional side of horticulture, whether you're a grower, retail, greenhouse, nursery, a vendor, yeah. right, right. This Grower Talks magazine is not uncommon to see somewhere lying around right, your exactly. establishments. And you happen across this article specific to the peat industry, and that's kind of been a... a, It's a hot topic right now. Yeah, it's been coming up more and more lately. Tends to be kind of negative press on peat as far as... uh, Recently, yes. Yeah, from a sustainability aspect. And I think that's the big concern now that I'm seeing more is is more along the lines of the sustainability. Right. Um, And... While we go in depth, I do want to clarify that while we might have a different stance, I specifically have a different stance on peat moss than what social media and the internet is representing it to be Mm -hmm. uh, as far as like, you know, the sustainability of it. I do believe that there's always improvements that can be made, uh, sustainability efforts that can be made. But I think there's a lot of misinformation maybe not misinformation but information that isn't been made as accessible or a little bit to clarify yeah to clarify what the peat moss industry is right and so i am interested to go over this between this article that was read between going on and looking specifically that we're going to talk a lot about peat moss in the north american industry and that's another thing we want to clarify about what's happening in other parts of the world with peat moss as opposed to what's particularly europe versus north america exactly and that's what this is going to talk about and so we realize that for a lot of people in the world of uh, horticulture whether you are in it like nick and i are where we work in the industry or whether or not you are a customer and you you buy products just want to clarify that what what are we're going to intend to do with this story and this kind of breakdown into it. Hopefully this is a part one of potentially two or three parts that we will go in depth on this. Yeah. Um, because like I said, it's just so relevant right now mm-hmm. and is very interesting to you and I. We want to clarify that while we do have opinions on this, I definitely have a, an opinion on this. We want to provide as many of the available facts that are out there as well Mm -hmm. Um, and encourage anyone who's listening. If you have a different opinion, share it. That's fine. And uh, maybe what we talk about won't sway your opinion. You might still be anti-Pete after listening to this episode, and that's okay. But hopefully you'll be anti-Pete with a little bit more information backing that up. Right, right. So that's kind of what we're going to delve into on on this episode. And part of the purpose for doing, whether we have, you know, a couple of shorter follow-up segments after this or whatever that form ends up being, you recently 
uh, got a good contact from yes a, from a, a rep from um, a pretty big vendor yeah that deals in in soilless media right and uh, she gave me contact information to reach out and we will hopefully we can release the name of this company we just without having further contacted the the growers in Canada with peat moss mm-hmm. which is the next step which will hopefully be part 2 of this podcast where I reach out to them and am able to interview directly from the source in Canada these growers these these harvesters the people who are in charge of uh, harvesting peat moss out of Canada as well as we have contact for someone who is pretty directly involved with restoration of those peat bogs. Right, um, right. Who should hopefully be very familiar with Canada's federal regulations on restoring peat bogs. And we'll get into that a little bit on this episode too, because that's definitely something top of mind for them and in their industry. And I think that's yeah. seems to be a key difference between what we've seen for North America versus what we'll get into of kind of what practices have been over in Europe. And to bounce off of what you said a little bit ago, based on our research and what we found kind of delving into the peat production industry versus kind of the feeling that's out there in the media, for myself, having, you know, my degrees in environmental studies with with the focus on international environmental sustainability. So usually I'm looking at these industries with a pretty skeptical eye. Sure. And having delved into this topic with you that that we're going to get into here you know even myself i have kind of come to the conclusion you know a little bit of a spoiler that of the industries out there that are based you know dealing in natural products from what we found you know maybe this isn't the first thing that needs to be kind of gone after as far as sustainability because at least here in north america the canadian government is making a Pretty conscious effort into restoration, very careful management, even of new harvest peat exactly. bogs. So, and, you know, let's get into it. Um, right. Kind of from the beginning here with peat. So to kind of catch anyone up who is unfamiliar with what's going on in the peat moss industry right now. It, you might have read or watched or heard something. We should probably explain what peat is first. Ooh, good call. Okay, yeah. so yeah, yeah. peat moss is exactly that. It is a type of moss. This is a sphagnum moss. It's a low-growing type of plant material that primarily grows in bogs. Kind um, of a swampy, wet, wetter, low-lying areas. Exactly, and it is kind of a slower-growing plant material. And it is harvested to be used in soilless plant medias, which a soil plant media is is essentially any sort of potting mix Mm -hmm. that you get. Anything from any of the large soilless plant media, that's what you're potting your annuals in. Anything in a container, whether it's a house plant or an annual or or whatever. I mean, I have some some perennials that are planted in containers. You're using a soilless media, which is almost always consists of peat moss and coconut as, core. As the main base. Right. With um, a few smaller percentages of additives like uh, vermiculite, perlite, right. uh, maybe even pine bark, you know, shredded pine bark. Yeah. yeah. So it's a, it's a combination of things that are not soil. Right. 
So, you know, we would never recommend in a container if you're planting annuals, please don't just dig up the soil that your grass is growing in and put it in your container. Uh, Your plants are not going to survive. Because in a container that's drying out or, you know, it could dry out quicker, it could hold water much more when you're using actual garden soil in a container there's no uh, worms and and bugs and critters and and other earth dwelling critters that are able to break down and aerate mm-hmm. and keep that soil non-compacted like it is in the ground for plants to grow Which in a usually container what happens yeah right. you put soil from the ground in a container and it, it turns, turns into, into a, a brick, brick. Yeah. right yeah so the purpose of using these soilless medias is they're they're lighter, they're physically less heavy moving containers around. It holds air and root space a lot nicer. It's easier for those plant roots to to penetrate and get themselves established in those containers. Hence why anything that's really labeled as a potting mix or a houseplant mix or even like a cacti succulent mix. Right. You know, it's all a variation of something generally with peat or, or coconut core or something like that as the main base for this soilless media. And the reason why is because peat moss is essentially this blank sponge mm-hmm. that you that can absorb and retain and then slowly release again uh, nutrients. And so it tends to be slightly as it breaks down, breaks down to like a more acidic quality, but nothing, nothing super acidic, but it does have mild acidity naturally. Which but, most houseplants, annuals, perennial tend to like. Right. Um, it's not uncommon for a lot of plants, at least a lot of plants that you and I are familiar with, right. to adapt well to a mildly acidic soil. And so, but you can also it can be made to be alkaline too, assuming that you apply appropriately like lime or calcium or something Mm -hmm. along those lines. So that's what's so great about this and why it has been used for so long in a horticultural setting is that it allows for you to create this soilless media blend that can then be altered, whether the vendor that sells this to you or you as a, uh, you know, buying it, you can, tweak it to fit your plant's needs, which is why it's such an interesting thing to be used. But what's currently going on in the the peat moss world is a combination of of several things. One having to do with when it's harvested, the release of CO2 that happens during the harvesting of peat moss. Since peat moss is, or since peat bogs are such a huge carbon sink, you know, they're right. they're taking that, they're using that carbon dioxide from and the air. And they store it and, and they hold it. Right. And then they, they use it themselves. Right. So, because the CO2 or carbon and at all in any plant world in a situation, the, the plants love that. Right. You know, it's just food for a number of different things. And they use carbon throughout the whole cellular process mm-hmm. of a plant it's very important and through through carbon dioxide initially right so so since those peat bogs are oh, such yeah, a carbon you. sink that's kind of where the initial i think the initial bad press comes from is hey these are an excellent carbon sink you know they're and when in, you harvest it areas. it's releasing co2 right. and then the second part of this is because peat moss, like I stated before, is a relatively slow grower. 
when you harvest it, it does take and can take some time to replenish many years mm-hmm. it, it can take. And so these peat bogs that are being harvested, you know, when you take that peat, you know, it's taking a while to replenish that. And how is that affecting the land? How is right. that affecting Cause you're essentially the wildlife? Strip, you're stripping those areas to harvest or it's almost, you know, you can liken it to like a, a mining, right. a surface mining operation. You're, you're stripping that natural vegetation and that wildlife area to access this peat and at the end when you've harvested you know it takes quite a bit of time or effort which as we found canada is very interested in because they're one of the world's largest or the world's largest source of peat Ooh, i'd have to double check what i have here 25 percent of the peat moss used globally for horticultural purposes is coming from canada because canada only uses its peat moss for horticultural purposes, something that's a distinction to be made from what's happened and a couple countries still happening in Europe. Right. And so with that slow growing nature in mind and the fact that that land is being stripped to harvest the peat, you know, when you're stripping that land, of course, it takes a lot of time and or a lot of conscious effort to reestablish those harvested areas as a natural area again right and get that peat moss reestablished as far as it being a living plant that hasn't broken down to to replenish it for the future so that's kind of um, but what we found you know in canada is they do have a very conscious effort in place as far as restoration and i'll let you kind of get into the details of their what kind of area they have available versus what they're harvesting and how they're restoring right So for me, I think I first became aware of the public's skepticism on peat moss towards the middle or end of last year Mm -hmm. when I started noticing more and more people at the garden center that I work with or work at coming in and asking, wanting to know if the soil they were buying was peat free. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, that kind of stemmed like, okay, well, I need to know why people are now anti-peat. And it seems like part of this anti-peat mentality is coming from information that is being released out of Europe. And what's going on in Europe is... And it gets released out of context. Out of context. To social media. Exactly. And then it's kind of like generalized together. And so to sum it up, and I'm going to read something too directly from this Grower Talk article... Um, which we'll link the article in the uh, episode description here. Do you want to give them the title of the yeah, article so really this, quick? So this article out of the Grower Talk magazine is titled just simply, Is Pete Sustainable? And this is by Jennifer Zerko. And Jennifer is the managing editor of Grower Talks. Um, and so this is a snippet here. Well, actually here, I'm going to, before I get into that snippet, I'm going to just kind of generalize what's happening in Europe. So Europe being colonized for far longer than North America has as far as what we understand colonization being. They, you know, one thing to take into consideration is that Europe has less available land Mm -hmm. than North America does. As populated as the U.S. and Mexico and Canada is, there's still a lot of available open, just millions and millions and millions of acres of land that 
don't have a you know population density on it not the same as what's going on in europe you know there's just less land available for this and in europe peat moss has been used for a long time as a soil as a fuel source as well historically right and i think there are still a couple of countries that are still using it somewhat as a fuel source but i think it's maybe one or two countries that it's still somewhat common for them to use as a as a fuel source the uh essentially harvesting that and burning it exactly eat directly or indirectly to produce heat or power one way or the other. Right. And so what's happened is over centuries, due to it being used as a fuel source, uh, primarily more so than a horticultural source, Mm -hmm. um, until more recently, in the last few decades, it became more popular to use as a horticultural source. But for a lot of Europe's history, it was a fuel source. In, into present day still happening into present day. In, in some areas because it's so culturally ingrained. Right. And so what's happened is you, you have stripped the land and it's now gotten to a point where the, the bogs where peat exists still in Europe have become pretty reduced. Mm-hmm. And a lot of sustainable efforts were not made until. Plus they don't more, have the land area to have the capacity to start a conservation effort while having access while to still using other the areas right like you would in Canada. And so you have this peat moss that's being harvested which, you know, carbon is released just from the machinery used to harvest it and then the releasing of the carbon from the peat moss that happens and then you're burning it. And so then you're burning it creating more <laughs> immediate all that all that sequestered carbon carbon dioxide is immediately getting released when you burn it right versus when you're using it as a horticultural product Mm -hmm. and it's breaking down in the ground you know slowly over time it's a slower when you burn it it's straight back into the atmosphere right so that is what's kind of the situation and how peat moss is that's what's happening with peat moss right now in europe and because of these now i realize that we just very much we summarized what's going on right. in europe but because of this because of what we summarized last year the uk announced it would require all garden centers that sell peat based growing media to stop offering the products by 2024 this mandatory requirement started out as a voluntary with the hope that garden centers would pull them from the shelves on their own by 2020 Real quick, this is a direct quote from the article, right? Right, right. This is a direct quote from the article. But when the pandemic hit and and the increases in gardening went through the roof, only about 20 retailers in the whole of Europe um, and UK uh, said that they had removed peat-based products from their stores. Mm-hmm. And so... When and was the, it just the UK that had that mandate? Yes. Okay. As far as I know, sure. yes. With the slow reaction to the ban at the retail level, it's not clear how it will affect commercial growers who are supposed to stop using peat-based growing media by 2030. And so since peat bans in the UK have been discussed for years, growers had already started making plans for using alternative amendments. Keep in mind that peat use in Europe is different than in North America. 
dried peat has been used for centuries as fuel in some parts of Europe and uh, that didn't have access to coal, oil, or gas. And that practice has contributed to the release of a significant amount of CO2 in the atmosphere, which was what we were talking about. Right. To date, only Ireland and Finland still use peat for fuel, but they're working on phasing this out. Peat bogs are slow to restore, plus there isn't enough land in the U.K., and the European continent to dedicate to peat bog restoration, hence the inevitability of the UK going away from peat moss use. There's a lot less peat available, and unfortunately it was extracted heavily for many years, so the environmental situation called for a control to the extraction of peat moss in Europe. But the case to do this in Canada is not there. It's very important to note that it is only used for horticulture. Um, which probably we'll say again. So, and so that's kind of the moss, end of that little segment that little directly segment. from the article. Right. And so it is just going to repeat peat moss that is harvested here in North America. And most of that comes from Canada is only used for horticultural purposes. We are not using peat in North America as a fuel source. Right. So that right there is a conscious, sustainable a, effort. And it's a very notable distinction, you know, distinct difference, again, between the situation historically that, that mm-hmm. has been present in Europe, historically and culturally in those areas, versus the uses in Canada. Right. And what was the what was the land area that yep, Canada Yep, that was has? the next thing I'm going into. So, so here, these are the numbers that I was able to source from this article and also from the CSPMA. The CSPMA is the Canadian Sphagnum Peat Moss Association and the information that they make available through their website. So, and hopefully if this goes well and we get into part two, which I am very excited about, we will be communicating with someone directly from associated with the restoration effort in Canada and she would be a representative from the Canadian Sphagnum Peat Moss Association. So I am excited about being able to reach out to this individual and, and uh, interview them and, and be able involved. to source them directly. I'm not going to do that yet because I haven't officially had the opportunity to essentially have an interview with this person. I really hope that that happens. I'm excited about that. Yeah, me too. That was a great, uh, she was a great resource to find. And so with this, so in Canada, now this is, This is massive. In Canada, there are 281 million acres. 281 million acres. I want that to kind of resonate with people. That is an, that's an amount of land that you like can't grasp. Like that's. Yeah. What's, what's the land area of. Right. Like that would be, that would have been a great thing to kind of. To, to research and have at our fingertips prior to doing this. So yeah, Nick's currently I'm looking up. He's, up right now. Yeah, he's on the laptop now. What What's a great way to kind of bring into perspective what 281 million acres is? So while Nick is looking that up, I'll kind of keep going along here. So in Canada, there are 281 million acres, which is about 25% of the world's peatlands that are being currently, that currently house peat bogs of the 281 million acres that currently exist of peatlands in Canada only 60,000 acres which is a lot that's a lot but 
in comparison, when you compare 60,000 to 280 million, it's a drop in the bucket. That's pocket change. 60,000 acres are being used for harvesting, which is less than 1% of what's currently been used or being used. That is a huge thing to kind of keep in mind that yes, that is a lot of, of harvested acres when you think, like, oh my gosh, 60,000 acres. But when you have 280 million, it's a large gap there. So of those 60,000 acres, between 60 and 70,000 acres, let me just kind of broaden that a little bit. Over 41,000 acres are currently under production. So even less, we can't emphasize enough that less than 1% of the available peatlands in Canada are being used for horticultural purposes. Of those 41,000 acres that are currently under production, 18,000 acres have been restored or reclaimed, 10,500 acres are awaiting restoration, and one and a half thousand acres have been converted to agriculture. So, yeah, less than one percent of the available peat resources in Canada have been utilized in the past ninety years. That is a very, very, very different take on peat and what's happening here than what has currently been going on in Europe. And that needs to, I think that's not being stressed enough. There's not, and maybe representatives for the peat industry need to kind of make that information more available. Granted, you know, cause when I went searching online, mm-hmm. um, unless you were knowing where to go and you are directly trying to find sources associated directly with peat harvesting or peat growing and companies associated with that, if you just simply type in peat moss or peat moss sustainability right now, you are going to be bombarded by websites, dot coms that are essentially recycling the same information. I, I searched over a dozen of them where there was almost the same exact copy and pasted information with no sources Essentially, someone said telling peat people is that bad, peat and it is, went viral. Right, peat moss is bad. You're bad if you use it. You don't care about the environment if you use it. Uh, essentially, just really, uh, really nailing it in that it is a bad thing with zero efforts given to explain another side of the peat moss story or why. Right, it's other than kind of that commingling of how it's historically been used in Europe to, you know, there's not a lot of differentiation between, yes, using peat as fuel is extremely unsustainable, but, yeah, not a lot of distinction made between that use and and how it's actually being used in North America. Right. And, you know, one thing, too, or about... Or that there are any conservation efforts being made, which right. there are, as we found. So confirmation efforts in Canada are common it's directly associated with the harvesting of it they are very adamant about making sure that how they harvest it is done in a way so that they can continue to do it Mm -hmm. real quick i found the stat for for the land area of texas in acres okay all right uh how many what was the total area of of the peat bogs in canada 281 million acres 281 million 
Hey, Ethan, do you hear that? What? Oh, it's an ad. Real quick, thanks for listening to our episode today. You can stay in touch with us by supporting us on Patreon. We are at patreon.com slash take it or leave it. And we'll have bonus content on Patreon for all of our subscribers there where you can get extra episodes and snippets from the show that we don't release to all the other platforms. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube at Take It or Leaf It Pod. And you can also visit our website, takeitorleafitpod.com. If you have any questions or comments or any stories you'd like us to research or talk about, or hell, send us a picture of a plant you want us to identify, you can send that information to show at takeitorleafitpod.com. You can also follow us on our individual Instagrams. I am at Hortwise, H-O-R-T-W-I-S-E. And I am at N Farringdon, N-F-A-R-R-I-N-G-D-O-N. Thanks so much. We'll get back to the episode. Oh, you got me. (laughs) So 281 million square acres of peat bogs in Canada just to give you guys a little bit of a context for land area, the size of Texas, the whole of the state of Texas, which is, is the second largest state right. in U.S., yeah, is 171, just under 172 million square acres. So it was 1.63 Texas's worth so. of land area that is p- available as peat bogs in Canada. Absolutely massive. And so of the 281 million... 70,000 acres have been used. Which is 0.02% of the available area. Yeah. So it's really like you said. When I say less than 1%, I really mean (laughs) less than 1% of... Less than half a percent right. of the available land, peatlands, have been utilized over the last 90 years right. to harvest and distribute peat moss strictly for horticultural purposes. Right. So, so in that context, like you said before, I mean, drop in the bucket. It's really a drop in the bucket. It's really a drop in the bucket. And like I said, maybe there and are... And we'll get into their conservation efforts because that's right. a whole other... Right. And we have a whole bunch of information uh, strictly going in specifically to the restoration. And that'll probably have... That'll be for a different part of, of this story here. But we have the information here, a uh, nice little pamphlet here, strictly talking about the restoration and the harvesting of the plant material strictly for Canada, the, uh, the whole thing, the budget, everything. And this is strictly from the Canadian Economic Development or the Association of Horticulture in Quebec. So there's really good information here that we'll kind of delve further into. Like I said, mm-hmm. this could easily have a part two or part three mm-hmm. um, to this because it's just such a trending topic right now and will be something that affects the horticultural world for years to come like as like to repeat and that's uh, why we want to bring that information to you guys directly from the people involved in canada in regard to those harvesting both the harvesting and the conservation efforts right right so i'm not saying that there 
isn't ever a more sustainable method of harvesting that could happen. There's always ways to improve our impact on the environment, especially when it comes to growing and harvesting something that we utilize and mass distribute. I do believe, though, that what Canada is doing, once again, uh, responsible for 20, you know, they have 25% of the available peatlands in the world. I think that they are making the most conscious efforts that they can on making sure that what they have is respected. You know, they're, they want to maintain that land. Um, they're not just stripping it, harvesting it, and leaving it, and leaving those areas. Right. And just, when they do harvest it, they have to wait. You know, you, in order to truly harvest these peat bogs, they have to be dry. And so if these peat bogs are wet, they're not harvesting. And so they're, they're conscious to when they are harvesting. And when they do harvest, they kind of harvest this top layer of the peat moss. They're not just like scraping the soil because the, the lower sections that are more broken down from being, you know, underground and decomposing over time, that's not the desirable product that we right. need. Right. So they're, there's kind of scraping off that newer growth off the, off the top. And then when it comes to the restoration process and I'm summarizing again, they're, they're then taking cuttings from other areas and then redistributing them then in that same exact area that they just harvested. Inoculate that soil again with live growth. Exactly. And and so it is a a very skillfully approached way of harvesting this product. And there's one thing I know I'm going to go off a little off tangent here. And when they do restore, sorry, not to, when they do, go and restore those areas am i correct they can't then harvest those areas again right as far as as far as canada's measurement or measures go once an area once an acre has been restored it is not harvested from again or it's permanently essentially in the state of of restoration in and i should say i guess at least in many parts of canada because there's different companies have different ownership of acres in there there's definitely companies that say like once an area is re uh, rehabilitated, mm-hmm. it's not touched again. There's- now, wasn't that a federal regulation? Ooh. Wasn't that a federal guideline? I was under the impression that that was a federal standard of once an area is restored, it cannot be touched again. Or was that only a certain percentage? Okay, so yeah, yeah. Per this article... Yeah, once in a once a peatland bog has been restored, nature is allowed to take course and it is not revisited for harvesting again per Canadian federal regulation. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um so they do have very strict regulations in Canada for maintaining these areas. Right. So it is not up to the the kindness of the heart uh, of these companies. It's, right. it is federally regulated. And to kind of go off on a bit of a tangent here, this is where a lot of my concern raised or was raised on this with peat moss with so many people kind of almost, it seems like from whom I've talked to and what I've seen and read online, some people have just blindly adopted this mentality that peat moss is bad and have become very anti peat moss. And I get that if you, if you live in Europe, I understand that, but a lot of There's information lot of that has been of, of the right, that has been released out of Europe. People here in North America 
our reading and adopting that mentality without having the education behind that decision outside of the fact that they read that it was bad. And it's very common for us that when we hear or read that something's bad, especially for the environment, we kind of hop on that bandwagon. And it's not necessarily a bad mentality. We should all be better stewards of the environment. But to adopt that mentality without bothering to do any level of research can be dangerous. Mm-hmm. And Especially oh, for a, a natural product. Right. And, and, and so yeah. hopefully, once again, that's kind of a part of what we want to do with this podcast. We'll do the research or we'll read it so you don't have to. And it works for us because we really enjoy this. I really like going down and kind of digging in the dirt and really figuring out digging in the soilless media digging <laughs> yes yes digging in the soil right not dirt digging in <laughs> digging the soil uh, or soilless media do you know um, what the difference is between soil and dirt uh dirt is what you bring in on the bottom of your shoes <laughs> five bucks a bag <laughs> <laughs> okay i like both of our answers. so one of the things that concern me with this with noticing and having interactions especially with customers who are coming in and, and wanting uh peat free soil was this just this blanketed, adopted, anti-peat mentality. And this is just my belief, so take that in consideration. This, what I'm about to say, is not rooted necessarily in anything scientific or that can be uh, validated with hard evidence. This is just strictly my opinion. Take it or leave it. If enough people get on this bandwagon of anti-peat here in North America... And it starts to harm the market of peat moss where people are actively choosing to not buy soil on the shelves here uh, in North America that have peat moss in it. Yeah, potting mix. That is going to inevitably impact the conservation efforts of peat moss in Canada. Because right now, that land, those peat bogs are protected. And I'm not saying that... Uh, you know, and and when something's protected like that, it can it's easier to maintain the protection of it when there is a way that it can also be profitable. And I wonder the, if those conservation efforts are funded by taxes the sales on that of industry. The peat moss. Right, right. So if that goes away, does that funding go away? That'd be a good exactly. And that's my fear. And that fear stems from this little anecdotal story here. So a couple years ago, and I remember you and I talked about this, and this story was fascinating to me. Horseshoe crabs, for many, many, many decades, were being used in the medical field for their blue blood. And horseshoe crabs have blue blood because their blood is higher in copper, where ours is red because it's higher in iron. And something to do with the horseshoe crab blood and the scent, the fact that these creatures are essentially immune to a number of uh, diseases. They've been on this planet essentially unchanged for a very, very long time. So we would harvest here in, uh, in the United States, we would harvest in the ballpark of a quarter million horseshoe crabs a year. And, in this process, there these horseshoe crabs, and this is going to sound grotesque, were drained of about 30% of their blood. And that blood was then used for a number of reasons, testing medical equipment, testing vaccines. And essentially, if it 
pat and I, I can't remember it. This was above my head. I'm a horticulturist, not a doctor, but with their blood being tested across a number of things, as long as it passed this test, it was allowed to be circulated on a mass level in the medical industry. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, whether it was uh, sterile equipment or specialized equipment. And so very fascinating process. You can look this up. Anyone listening, you can find out information. We'll have information posted too um, in the link as far as an article that I read on this particular topic of horseshoe crabs. But what happened was is animal activists, you know, got wind of the fact that these horseshoe crabs, uh, about a quarter million of them were harvested a year for their blood. And uh, about a third of their blood was drained and then they would be re-released. And unfortunately, during that stressful process, the horseshoe, you know, probably about, oh, you know what? I I have my information wrong. I'm sorry. Of of the horseshoe crabs that were harvested every year, about a quarter million. I'm sorry. I was saying that a quarter million were harvested. Of the the many, many, many horseshoe crabs that are used annually for their blue blood, uh, it was about a quarter million of them died from mm-hmm. this process every mm-hmm. year. It was never the intention for that to happen. They but when you're li- when you're wild capturing a, a creature to drain its blood for science, there's going to be <laughs> yeah. And so of <laughs> I'm uh, guessing it's not super delicate, right? So a quarter million horseshoe crabs annually died because of this, and activists got wind of this and they pushed and pushed and pushed for a synthetic alternative uh, or synthetic blood to be made. And eventually that happened. I want to say it was in 2020 this happened and it started to become more used. And that sounds great. When I was hearing this story for the first time, I even at first was like, oh, well, that's great. That sounds uh, like a really a big win. You know, like if we don't need to kill a quarter million horseshoe crabs a year for their blue blood because we have a synthetic alternative, that sounds great. Sure. What happened was... The horseshoe crabs were no longer now protected. They were a protected species because they were used for a scientific purpose. Mm-hmm. So once this alternative blood became implemented, the horseshoe crabs were no longer a protected species. Now, fishers are allowed to just uh, capture up millions and millions and millions of, kind of these they, indiscriminately right and they just grind them up and use them as fish baits to lure in other fish that they want to heart that they want to capture so we went from 250,000 horseshoe crabs dying a year to now millions of them are being killed a year uh, simply to just be ground up and spread across the ocean to to then encourage other fish to then be captured. So it was one of those things where good intentions were meant. Mm-hmm. You know, we wanted to do the people who really pushed for this wanted the to follow do, up of keeping them <laughs> protected didn't quite. Right. Happen. Exactly. So this idea of, oh, we're going to do the right thing and we're going to stop this death of horseshoe crabs turned into now way more horseshoe, like 20 times the amount of horseshoe crabs that were being <laughs> killed before mm-hmm. uh, or were dying from the process are now being killed because they're no longer a protected species. Right. So what does that have to do with peat moss? My brain associates that because so many peatlands are protected due to the fact that they serve a purpose, 
If that purpose no longer is needed and sales drop down so dramatically to the point that there's not enough funding to maintain and sustain all of these hundreds of millions of acres and the restoration, what happens to that when the people responsible for maintaining those no longer have the funds to do that? Is there the potential that that land is now going to be sold? If that land is sold, what's going to happen to it? Right. If it's stripped for agriculture. Right. If it's now stripped for agriculture or sold to whomever to build whatever on it. Oil drilling or who knows. Right. Who knows what's going to happen? And that's where my fear comes from, that in uh, this effort to do the right thing, because there's and this this growing slowly boiling over boycott that i foresee happening in peat moss if enough information is not put out there um in north america what's the long-term effect of that you know uh, right now they're protected if there's not enough funding for it what what happens to that land well and then my thought too was okay peat is by far in a way the vast majority you know main component in all potting mixes soilless growing media globally right i don't know what the percentage is but very very high when if that source goes away what is going to fill that gap and is the thing that fills that gap going to be that much more sustainable or or could it be way worse and so what's happening what is the what's the plan because i don't think there is one what is the plan to replace that massive industry with another industry that will inevitably have to fill its place? And so you look at like coconut core as being a replacement for it. And it's like, well, okay, well, when the coconut core industry starts to boom to replace this massive hole from peat moss not filling it, Right. What happens now with that? Are yeah. we going to bulldoze? How sustainable is right, the coconut? Are, are we right. going to bulldoze more land to plant more coconut trees now? Right. Um, are, are in the process of harvesting coconut more? Are we going to be burning more fuel to harvest more uh, coconuts? You know, it's just like we're we're closing off one hole and opening up another one. Right. And and you know because you know it's it's gone viral. The industry is getting attacked, but it's like okay. If we find that it really somehow wasn't going to be long-term sustainable because, you know, like like we'll touch on, peat moss is extremely slow growing comparatively. So even though these areas are getting re- restored and, and kind of re-inoculated with new live cultures of the peat to restore the bogs, are those Potential replacements, yeah. Right. Are uh, Could... Could those with no plan like right now, right now for peat restoration, at least in North America and Canada, there is a a, a very specific plan in place for restoration of those peat bogs with lots of very regulated rules. What if that goes away, if that industry goes away because of public pressure, what is going to fill its place to be able to even remotely get close to meeting that demand? And it. Is it going to be better? Is anybody thinking about what, if that suddenly goes away from public pressure, what what has to immediately fill that vacuum because it's such a massive industry, it's right. such a huge component to the horticulture industry, which is a multi, multi-billion dollar, you know, just in America alone, 
multi-billion dollar industry, what is going to fill that gap? What is going to fill those pots? And and essentially whatever else would potentially do it, whether it's coconut core or whether it is, like you said, repurposed, repurposed, fiber re- and re- recycled, but also not being used, reprocessed. You're going to have to take that paper and you're going to have mm-hmm. to process it in some way, shape or form. And in that processing, what's happening? Uh, I imagine that some degree of of fuel is being utilized mm-hmm. to repurpose this paper and then and make can it. And that, I don't even think we, I know some a small handful of manufacturers have started experiment with paper pulp, wood pulp, right. as a, a peat, all, a growing media alternative. But I don't know that we have long enough term research you know even with even with coconut core for example over time they found that if it's a long if it's used long term as a growing media like in your house plant that you're not going to repot for one two three years or in a larger container grown tree that you're growing out in the nursery for a year or two to get it up to the size that you want before you're going to sell it they have found that coconut core, as it breaks down over time, it releases levels of salts that are unhealthy to those plants that are essentially right. become toxic to the roots of those plants. So long term, it is not the best media to grow in in those scenarios. I, In regard to something like the wood pulp or paper pulp repurposed for growing media, I don't think we have enough research to say can that be used as an alternative that is long-term healthy or short-term healthy to grow those plants in. Right. I don't know that we know. And, and, and there's other efforts too. Like I was talking to uh, someone about the fact that, that, you know, pine needle is also being mm-hmm. researched as being a replacement where essentially they're composting pine needles to the highest degree that it can be composted, turning it into like a loamy material. Mm-hmm. Pine is very acidic. You know, sphagnum has a natural acidity. Coconut core has a natural acidity. Mm-hmm. But pine is much more acidic. Right. Um, and so that is a concern as well. And will it hold up as long as peat moss does? I mean, peat moss breaks down over time and coconut core breaks down over time. Uh, I personally don't know myself enough of, you know, will... How how long or how much does pine needle compost? Because you up said to? in those areas in the U.S., it's it's used even as as a mulch under trees and landscape, right? Yeah, yeah. A lot of this, I think, it was out of the Carolinas that are that are doing this because in the Carolinas they use pine needle as a common mulch. You go down there and you're going to see it under trees sure. in gardens. It's a very there's so many pines down there. They are regularly using this as a as just a straight up mulch two or three inches of pine needle mm-hmm. mulch on yeah. there they're like well you know we have all this available maybe we can use it also to further break down and, and use as a, a peat substitute or in addition to so maybe the peat moss is reduced and they up a little bit more of the coconut core and pine bark or pine needle mulch mm-hmm. um, and pine bark right now is a is a pretty common additive right more so in, pine in is such a common lumber plant, 
Right. It's right. pine is very commonly used for lumber, but they mm-hmm. don't want the bark. Right. So that is stripped and then ground up and used um, in soilless medias as well. More so in trees and shrubs or maybe maybe some perennial mixes as a larger, yes. you know, chunkier substrate that allows exactly drainage right. and aeration in the right. soil. Um, so there's a lot of moving. I think that's one of the things that in this episode, I just want to emphasize this is a huge industry. Like you said, billion dollars. Like there's, this is a billion dollar industry and there's a lot of moving pieces. And if enough public pressure is applied to this, to the point where the, this industry starts to struggle or see serious declines, all of these moving pieces are going to start getting discombobulated. Right. And then what happens? You know, I think that's just what we need to be conscious of is that when you quickly shake up an industry like that without thinking of the potential consequences or what's going to remedy them, you know, it'd be like saying no more uh, combustion engine cars today. Right. And it's just like, like, or do we need to get rid of or in five, five combustion engine cars? For sure. We're going to we're going to have to switch to electric at some point. Or, or sooner than later. But if we did it all now, you know, if, if public the pressure collapsed, would the just feed completely industry, collapse. And right. it's just like there I, has to be there has to be a transition if a transition must actually be made. Right. You know, obviously with combustion engine cars, we and know to that become anti peat be before there is a replacement for it mm-hmm. could really create some serious problems. And it may be found that in order to meet the demand to fill that place uh, uh, in place of peat, they may find uh, what if there is not a readily available, more sustainable natural product that can fill that role. Mm-hmm. But I think until we look into that and find out what what that could be to replace it, I think it's kind of dangerous territory to just say, hey, can't use this anymore. Right. You know. And so that's kind of, yeah, that's, I think, for part one of of this story, I think we've kind of pleaded our case. I feel like I've pleaded my case as far as just consider the bigger picture. When you have something that is this large of an industry, there's sometimes more than just even a bird's eye view of it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you kind of have to consider that there is a satellite view yeah. of this industry and it affects millions and millions and millions of people across the world you know when you have something that like canada who has such a huge reserve who also exports right peat to elsewhere in the world so you know this is something to consider i i kind of also uh, you know the idea of that of of what's what's the alternative and and by getting rid of this one thing is there still <sighs> It's almost like, you know, the effort, the push towards a more sustainable option, sometimes it kind of misses the mark or there's a more obvious issue happening. You know, like um, I kind of I liken it to there was a big push to eliminate the use of plastic straws. Mm -hmm. And it's like, yes, we need to reduce our plastic use. Yes, plastic straws are not good for the environment. But what about the plastic lid and the plastic cup 
how many straws or the paper cut worth that has plastic lining making the cup unable to, to be, be recycled. recycled. Right. Right. Like what how many plastic straws worth of plastic are in the plastic lid and the plastic cup? Mm-hmm. And it's like you're kind of missing the mark. Yeah. Like volume wise, you know, sure, individually, you know, that restaurant can choose to use a paper straws or or say, hey, we're going to make a cup with a lid that you don't need a straw or whatever. But it's like, what about industries being, you know, the individual level or the individual restaurant level, you know, even if it's a chain or whatever, take like a Starbucks or whatever, if they're going to say no more plastic straws, whatever, you know industry on a whole if industry on a whole which is such a multitude more massive scale than what you and i as individual consumers consume if it's not a federal level of regulation at that kind of scale you know a countrywide scale of hey we need to set parameters for reduced plastic use and packaging or whatever and and saying nationally we're going to find a way to as a whole make something more more sustainable or less resource intensive or or find ways to use less plastic you know in that straw example you know it's just when it boils down to the individual level like the the impact just isn't there in the grand scheme of things Mm -hmm. so yeah hopefully with this episode we've kind of opened the door too for more people to take it on themselves to do a little bit more research on this and to make sure that if you take a hard in a different way if you're going to take a hard stance on something do it but with with some evidence backing you know just because it's on whatever your chosen social media is Whenever you're getting your information from there, and I bring that up because that's where I've seen mm-hmm. a lot of anti-Pete stuff being circulated, go in, delve into that, you know. Yeah, ask why. Give it a ask little. Ask why. Question it a little, you know. Yeah. And if you don't want to ask why, then just keep listening to our podcast. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll give you uh, as many answers as we can and, and back it up with as much available information as there is. You know, our opinions are going to be backed up by sourced material and we look forward to continuing this story and i look forward to continuing to discuss more uh stories like this in the industry this is for me this is what i really want to do on this podcast we're of course going to talk about plants that is who we are Uh, we're we're going to have that boat these sort of stories that really discuss the inner workings of the horticulture industry Mm -hmm. is so fascinating and i think now is as good a time as any to bring those stories to light to the public right so many people have a renewed interest in horticulture and i feel like us as horticulturists uh, would be doing a disservice to people by not educating them that's what we are you know as a horticulturist and you look up the definition of a horticulturist it's not just someone who is a steward of their land it is also someone who educates other people on how to be stewards of their land and of their environment and and even just saying you know getting to the point of of just asking more questions right 
Yeah. And and that's what I'm going to continue to do with this story. And uh, so part two of this story will will go more in depth on the restoration, the harvesting, and hopefully, fingers crossed, have actual information from people in Canada directly associated with the process of harvesting, restoring, and the sustainability side of peat moss. I think that's going to be a really great addition to this story. Yeah, and we will definitely that is down the pipeline to follow up with this, uh, follow up with that information directly from the source in mm-hmm. Canada to, uh, to follow up and, and give you guys some God, information gosh, really directly kind of, from them. Yeah. We really talked about that. Man, wouldn't that really suck if like we couldn't get home? <laughs> like, hey guys. Um, no, we said we were going to do part two of this, but, um, actually we, we can't. So <laughs> the end. Yeah. The end. So hopefully you really enjoyed the other episode but that's it. Uh, we actually can't talk about peat moss anymore. <laughs> um, we're getting fined uh, $350 every time we say peat. Yeah. So or moss. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> we as are it, flagged. As it turns out, we can no longer use the words peat or moss or peat moss or any other variation. Or peatlands. <laughs> right. uh, in the effort of telling you about this, we have been fined. This is the last podcast. <laughs> <laughs> They find us uh, $1 for every uh, square acre of peat bog in Canada. <laughs> so since we now owe uh, $280 million, $280 million you'll never each. see us again. <laughs> right. So anyway. We're currently uh, coming to you from a country that doesn't offer extradition to the U.S. or Canada. <laughs> or have doctors. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I hope that... I hope that anyone listening enjoyed this story. We certainly did uh, researching it, looking into it, and uh, look forward to adding more to this uh, growing story and look forward to bringing you more stories. Thank you so much for listening. Yeah, and once again, take a look at the episode descriptions for... Our um, links and sources. Yeah, yeah. I will get information posted the Grower Talks article on peat that, again, was titled Is Peat Sustainable by uh, Jennifer Zerko, as well as if I can find a little interesting information about those horseshoe crabs to get that information in there. My information, my contact information, Ethan's contact information, the website, our social media links, Patreon. Please subscribe to the Patreon. That way um, we can keep doing this. We can keep doing this show. <laughs> that way Ethan and I can both afford to buy our gummy vitamins every month. Uh, once again. Who's that opening a plug for some gummy vitamin that <laughs> right. we're supposed to start? At? Ooh, that'd be a good. There yeah, we go. Yeah, yeah. With, maybe like with a spirulina base. So it's still right. horticulturally themed. <laughs> yes. like the astronaut moss food. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so once again, this has been the Take It or Leave It podcast. I'm Nick Farringdon. I'm Ethan Wise. And we will talk to you guys soon. 